This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. We started to support the whole hideous visa and relocation part. And what happened was that we learned through our clients that their biggest problem in international hiring was not finding those people. It was actually getting them into the country. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining another episode designed to help you better lead at the top of your game. Now, you may remember in episode 12, I interviewed a fantastic guest named Tahima Watson. She's an immigration lawyer who came to the U.S. from Europe and founded her own immigration law firm, which helped individuals navigate the U.S. visa laws. We received such great feedback on that episode, and now I'm pleased to share that today's guest will take our level of knowledge about immigration, visas, and country relocation truly global. Her name is Caroli Hendricks, and she is the founder and CEO of Jobbatical, which is a multi-million dollar AI-enabled immigration and relocation platform that's focused on making the visa process easier by automating several of the tedious parts of the relocation visa and immigration process. Now, Karoli came to the U.S. as an exchange student from Russian-controlled Estonia, and she was so excited to see the world and experience freedoms that she had never known before that she wanted to do her part in helping to build a more open world for those desiring to live or work in areas other than their home country. So be sure to listen to her story of how initially Jobatical was a cross-border recruitment company and how she made this decision along with her executive team to transform it into the most scalable visa automation product in its industry. Now, not only is she a fabulous leader herself, but she also gives insights on how technology is continuously impacting how we think about the mobility of global talent pools. She even gets very vulnerable with us and shares how she was considered a micromanager by her team and how she worked so hard to change that perception. And of course, be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. We are so pleased that you have joined us for another episode. Please be sure to like and subscribe us so you can stay in contact with us. 
And boy, do we have a great episode today. I know I say that every week, but I truly mean it again this week. It is actually going to be interesting because I was sharing with our guests that what we're going to talk about is going to be great with the sister podcast that we had on the visa process and immigration processes. And this is a true founder and innovator in this space. So I am so pleased to have on today's show, uh, Caroli Hendrick, who is the founder and CEO of Jabatical, which is an AI-enabled immigration and relocation platform that's focused on making the visa process easier by automating several of the tedious parts of the relocation visa and immigration tasks and processes. And she is a real hero to me because as a ex- former executive in HR, this is something that we had to deal with on a daily basis on the, the U.S. side of the pond. So welcome to the podcast, Caroli. Super excited, Karen. Oh, we're so happy to have you. So are you ready and excited to open up that leadership playbook of yours and share your story? Absolutely. Absolutely. All the learnings, all the ups and downs on the way. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, before we dig deep into your story, for as much as you feel comfortable, will you share a little sneak peek into maybe your personal journey and professional passions? Yeah, I think uh, kind of um, it's funny how life sometimes gives you uh, glimpses into your future. So I started Chubatical a lot later, but actually my passion in terms of what we are building, and it's really a more open world, right? started uh, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I was actually a 17-year-old exchange student. And if you look at where I'm coming from, I'm coming from a tiny country, Estonia in Northern Europe, which today is the biggest innovative digital country. But when in my childhood, it was still occupied by a nasty neighbor. Uh, So we were occupied by uh, Soviet Russia. And so I grew up in a world where the borders were so closed that even ideas couldn't travel, right? So At the age of 17, I remember I had been as an exchange student there in Portsmouth for for now six months. It was January. I was in a cafe called Breaking New Grounds, sipping my hot chocolate with marshmallows. And the thought that I had, and it can actually make me a bit teary, was that if everybody in the world could have the experience that I'm having here, living in another country, that we actually would have a better world. Oh, that is so touching. Absolutely. So it's interesting that now, it took me a few decades, uh, but I actually started to build. And today, my team across the world, it's, we have around 100 people from Indonesia to Colombia every day waking up to really help to build that more open world. And it started from, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, and that's Portsmouth, what. New Hampshire. That is amazing. And now, will you share where you're located now? I'm actually at this moment in New York City. Uh, so uh, my... If you ask my home address, it's mostly on an airport, yeah. uh, but, <laughs> but currently I'm sitting in New York City. Oh, that is great. Uh, it's sunny, sunny in New York today. So listeners, you don't know this, but when we were trying to get on uh, Carolee's busy, busy schedule, you know, she is actually more time has been in Europe and she had just happened to be in New York City today and they were like, cool, oh, this will be a great time for uh time zone purposes. And so we grabbed her when we could. So thank you for your flexibility, Corella. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Happy to be here. All right. Well, let's dig into the the good stuff. So let's talk about Jabatical and the origins of it. And then 
what made you pivot to what it is today? Yes. So, uh, and it's funny because the whole, like the mission and the passion started from the United States and also the Jabatical idea started. So it, why I founded Jabatical, uh, I was actually, uh, I was lucky to get into a think tank called Singularity University, which, uh, um, so, which was uh, in NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View. Uh-huh. And uh, so I spent the summer there in amazing think tank, a lot of uh, smart people. And as I'm a runner, so I like to run in the morning. So every time I had to run out of NASA, uh-huh. go to the seaside, but on the way I passed Google. Oh. So I, you know, I, and then in the mornings you smell the pastries of go- coming. And I thought, oh my God, this is Google. And then I started thinking, why are the Googles of the world here? Like, what's up with this place that amazing companies that change industries come from here? And I started to look into it. And what I uh, discovered was that it's not that people are just uh, born smarter there. It's that smart people circle the globe to get there and then help to build those companies. So coming from a tiny uh, corner of the world country, I started to ask, and having been an entrepreneur for a while, what do we need to do to inspire those people who are ready to circle the globe? Instead of going to Silicon Valley, how to get them to Helsinki, Stockholm, Hamburg, Madrid, like, yeah. so they would discover the founders in those places and could, you know, merge their travel dreams with their um, work. So we started as a, my thesis was that let's collect those people and uh, uh, create a community and then start to show them a founders teams in far flung cities of the world. So we actually were a cross-border recruitment platform initially. Recruitment. And we had, exactly, <laughs> yes. So we had people. Fired from 53 countries to 37 countries. But you know what happened, Karen? Like a true startup story. (laughs) So we built this. We actually had, before the pivot, we had half a million users. So the business was pretty, I mean, we had built an amazing thing. But what we learned was that our clients, now you have been in HSPs, you have seen visa processes, right? So our clients started to say that, okay, I hired this amazing person who, you know, flew in from Sydney, who needs to fly in from Sydney, Australia. But how do I get that person to my country? So we started as a side business. We started to support the whole hideous visa and relocation part. And what happened was that we learned through our clients that their biggest problem in international hiring was not finding those people. It was actually getting them into yes. the country. So uh, 2019, uh, it was basically, we had raised by that time $8 million, of which $6 million we had put into building this recruitment platform. So it was a big decision, but it was clear that this part, like the actual pain was for our clients was, was in that uh, the visa immigration relocation part. So we completely set aside what we had built, started from the scratch and today, and that was the best decision for the company. Today, we are already covering uh, over 30 countries and, and we have built a platform, which is by far like the best uh, in terms of the product and, and the experience in in our market so it was a big leap that we took i must say karen that board meeting was very fun when i said told my investors that you know we are going to set aside what we have built thus far and start to build a new thing but today everybody sees that it was the right decision so uh, so that was the that was story no 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 you're good i'm just a quick question there i'm curious about the conversation with your board in that why didn't you do both or do in I guess the question is, why didn't you try to do both? Did you find out that it was better to niche down into this new area where you knew there there was demand? 
versus trying to offer too big offerings? I'm just curious about that. That's a very good question. And to be honest, my management team, because everybody, we saw, you know, we saw that there was something there. Everybody saw, not only me, like we saw, but my management team also, that everybody thought that, no, let's do both. Let's just put a little bit more money to, into this uh, new thing, but let's do both. There's the rules with startup is that you need to have two things, product market fit and focus. focus yeah. So I told my team that uh, however painful it is, and it was painful because we actually said we, we were sending away clients. Yeah. We had contracts lined up. We said, no, we're not going to take that money because we need to focus. Uh, the thing is that if we would have done both, I would not be having this conversation with you right now. Right. So we, I told my team that this is all in. Like We have this chance of the funds that we had raised back then. Uh, so to, by today, we have raised over 20 million. But uh, back then, we had 2 million left. I said, we're going to use this to build as much as we can to prove our product market fit. And we're going to do all in because it's our only chance. We can't do both. Uh, and uh, and that was it. Yes. Yeah. So the lesson, listeners, for you can learn from Corelli there is on her team is um, there are times when it may make sense to scale into new offerings, but there are other times when it may make sense to double down and focus on a particular area, especially based on the resources and support that you all have whether you're you know, employed at a business or you own a business or a founder yourself. So the critical thing is to make the right decision for you all, you know, use those strategic decision-making capabilities uh, with all your key stakeholders so that you all make the right choice for you. Do you agree, Carly? I agree. And I think maybe one of the things that I also told the team, I told also the board back then, was that uh, what we saw, so with the recruitment platform, it was a nice to have. And honestly, our users loved us. Some of, some of them may say that, you know, I pour a class of mine in the evening and start a dream where I could work, right? So when I sent out uh, this message that we're going to shut that uh, down, it was a very teary, a lot of teary emails that I got. But there was a one significant difference between those two. And so it was a nice to have platform. So companies and our clients could hire but nothing really happened if they didn't find them. Like they would use another platform. So it was a vitamin. But with the other, which was the visa immigration relocation, here we were a painkiller. That was a big pain that they had. And as a startup, you want to be a painkiller. So I think that's also so, uh, something to remember that you want to be the painkiller for your client. That's when the, it gets especially sticky. Absolutely. So also, so let's go deeper into what um, Jabatical actually does. Like, um, how do you kill that pain and make the service, the relocation easier for your client? How does it work? Yes. So basically, how, how does it work is now, if you think about, you just recently had a discussion with an immigration lawyer. So how does it work on a, a usual case is that, you know, you, the case comes in, lawyer looks at their screen looks that this is the passport, this is the position, this is the country that the person is now going to move to and make a lot of decisions in the head. So for us, we have put those decisions into the system. So when a case comes in, it's a lawyer who sets up the platform. The lawyer is, uh, in each country we operate, the most important person is our immigration lawyer who makes sure that the decision trees are rightly set up. But now the decisions are made by the system. Now let's, let's move further and let, now you have, you know, the person will start, we will, 
you, so as a client, you just put the information about, uh, or your HR system sends it directly to our platform because we have integrations that the information, okay, this is, we are initiating this relocation. Now we get the information. We will invite that person who is going to start their move to our platform. And when in a usual case, the documents are gathered via email, a lot of forms are filled. So now we have automated all of that. So we gather, uh, so the talent uploads the information and documents once. And then my, our smart system takes that uh, information and populates to all the different forms. Nice. So again, something that, and we actually calculated, you know how much time, if you put all together, how much time every year that people spend in the United States on work, basically work permit related paperwork. No, how much time? 600 years. Stop. So, Are you serious? <laughs> I'm actually, it's actually, it was 599, but I don't know, let's say 600. But so imagine what people could be doing with that time. Yeah. And I think there's another uh, element to it is that as we are now, uh, we, so the automation is helping also to reduce the mistakes because if you manually, I mean, as humans, we make mistakes. If you have all those forms to fill and you do it manually, yes. you miss something. Then the application is sent. There's an error. It comes back. The whole process is delayed. So, but our system is able to significantly reduce the number of errors, which means the process also goes significantly faster because there are no mistakes. So basically what we do is that we kind of, we take the whole process of getting the person legally working in the country off the table of the HR. Now that makes a lot of sense. Now I'm going to ask a, a particularly U.S. centric question. So please forgive me for this because I know it's different in every country because I've led global teams. And I know that, but in the U.S. in particular, if you make a mistake and you don't catch it, it's almost like your application goes back to the bottom of the stack. I mean, they process those that are ready to go. And then now they've introduced the lottery concept. So how does your platform deal with these new requirements every couple of years, you know, that the government puts out there? How do you guide your clients through that? Okay, yeah. Yes. So basically, that's why uh, in each country where we operate, including the United States, the most important person is we have the immigration lawyer who is, who is leading the platform. But no, the thing is that usually the lawyer, that's where why it's so expensive as well. It's the lawyer who is processing the thing. With us, the lawyer is making sure that all the processes are correctly set. If there's any adjustment from the government side, we will adjust the decision tree, right? Yeah. So basically... We cannot change policy. So that part, and we can talk about that. And I think this, if you think about where we are right now as a humanity, you know that we are in the biggest talent shortage in human yeah. history. And, and, and the numbers also in the United States, we see that markets are hard. At the same time, we have the lowest unemployment rate, I think, in history right now. So because of the shortage of uh, skilled workers, right. right? So which means that, and this is my passion topic, that each country should be making their efforts attracting and getting people in, yet a lot of countries, including the uh, United States, uh, is, has made it quite difficult. So, so we cannot change the policy, but what we can do is we are using the AI automation in order to make a, every step before it reaches the government as accurate, as fast, as and also as low in terms of resources. Because like if we, by removing so much paper from the table, we're actually helping the environment as well. Yeah. So uh, did that answer your it question? It did. 
And I'll just say for all my leaders out there, especially those HR and business leaders, and that's where the most of our listeners are from. If you all don't have Carly and her job article <laughs> on team on speed dial, you know, you're missing out because you all know it's very, very, not only is there a huge talent shortage, but it's very, very complicated to manage all of this. And it's almost a full-time job within itself. And very few companies have an individual themselves who is focused on visa and immigration and relocation issues. So Corelli, now once somebody, say all their paperwork goes through and they kind of get approval for their local country, do you have additional partners that help them in the resettling process? Yes, yeah? settling. Exactly. Good question. So we do, uh, we, and again, there's, we plug in vendors and partners who help with the rest of this. So is it a bank account opening? Is it finding apartment? All of that. So we plug them into our platform. Okay. And again, our aim is to have an experience where the talent gives the information once, and then we can also populate that to our vendors. So if it's, you know, that you don't need to go out to another partner and then start filling yet another form, right. but this information moves between platforms. So this is basically, uh, so we, also help with the settling part. Yes. Uh, currently, not in all states in the United States, but uh, in the most where we see, like where most relocations are, yeah, there we are covered. I interacted. Um, I used to work with Microsoft before I founded my own firm as well, and I used to work with a company that helped. It was kind of the last mile, if you will. There was another company that did something similar to you, but it was manual. They didn't have a platform or no AI, anything like that. But they had what they call city partners, where there was someone, you know, in the major cities like Palo Alto or Atlanta or New York or Chicago, where if a family was going there, they would have, they would kind of be the face of the city, like for the first couple of weeks to help them point them in the right direction and get settled. I like that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something you all do as well, but that might be an additional add-on in the future. That's a really really cool idea. I like that. I will share with the team. So what, you know, although this is a fantastic service, I'm sure there were additional obstacles along the way as you all pivoted. And uh, we learn a lot from missteps as well. So if you don't mind, can you share one, I would say hiccup or a misstep or one thing that you all, your team had to rethink as you were growing um, into what you are today? Maybe I will even take a step back, and I think uh, what what came to my head is uh, uh, where I, as a leader, had to change. And I think that was such a learning story for me. And I think it was a year before we pivoted. We had our first, we were still quite a small startup, and we had our first HR person in the team who then did anonymous surveys first time, right? You know, the uh, regular stuff, right? And one of the questions uh, that uh, she asked was, with whom you have a hard time working with? And can you imagine, Karen, a lot of people said it was me. Yeah, really? How did that make you feel? Uh, 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 that, uh, yeah, I actually got goosebumps right now. That was a tough moment. And uh, I mean, as a leader, I had like, I could have just gotten angry, right? But instead, I really tried to understand why. So what is that? And I, what I realized, it was a very simple thing. So, you know, I had started as an entrepreneur when I was 16. So I had been doing things alone for a long time. And I kind of doing with your heart and always hands-on, right? Which right. kind of meant I was hands-on everything and everyone. And I was micromanaging everything and everyone. 
And it wasn't because of, it was actually from a kind place, but, and I didn't realize I was doing it, but it was a very bad habit. And so I stood in front of the team and I said, I now understand, first of all, thank you for your feedback, because that helped me see something that I did not even know. And, uh, and I said that, I told them that bad habits, you know, you cannot change them overnight. So what I need is you giving me very blunt feedback every day for me to be able to start seeing my, how to say, blind spots, right? And I think that was, uh, in that sense, transformational that from that change started, I changed a lot as a leader, but as an organization, we became a like very feedback oriented. So today, when new people join, I always say that if there's one thing I hope you will get and take away from our company when you go to your next journey is the ability to receive and give feedback. Because I truly now today, having seen the growth personally and as an organization, I think it's just when we are able to give and receive feedback, we are able to grow as humans. And if we are able to grow as humans, we can grow as an organization. And uh, and that came from that anonymous survey and the very shocking uh, answer that I uh, got from the team regarding how hard it was to work with me back, back then. But look how you turned that around, though. You, you know... Were, you could have been very dismissive, but you were at least very open to the perspectives and feedback and were all in and trying to understand how to turn that around. And I'm sure you gain a lot of trust from your staff by doing that over time. Definitely. Right? Definitely. And I think that helped us to go through because, I mean, as about low points, then we pivoted in 2019 summer. What happened eight months later? The world went into lockdowns yeah. and the whole business was about moving people across borders. Right? Yeah. So that was a very, very tough year, but we made some of the best product decisions thanks to that. So I like to say that everything is for our growth, even the lowest moments, usually you, you will understand later why you needed to have those. But uh, I think the feedback culture and, and the trust that came out of it was very much the basis of getting through those uh, lower uh, times. So how did you, um, so that brings up a good point. So share a little bit about that journey during the pandemic. I mean, it's great that you used it to double down on your platform development, but the revenues dropped during the pandemic and how did you stay alive? Yeah, it's a... So uh, that it, it is an amazing story. And I think one of the things that people don't generally know, because from the media, we, uh, we heard that everything was closed down. But most countries actually for employment related moves, they were open. So they opened already from May. So for two months, it was complete, complete freeze. Uh, so it, there was shock. We were all in a very big shock. But from May, uh, countries actually started to open the employment related. So airplanes were very empty, but there were actually people moving. But I do remember the 2020 uh, board meeting where uh, my board member and mentor, Alec Ross, who was formerly Hillary Clinton's innovation advisor and great friend and uh, mentor for me over the uh, journey of Jobatical, he said like golden words. He said at the board meeting that the fact that Jobatical survived or basically he said didn't die and actually kept on growing is a sign of a bigger trend uh, that even the global lockdowns uh, didn't it. really stop us so, so as i think and it goes back to the same talent shortage like it's just you know uh, the numbers are te- uh, so right now the forecast is that by 2030 uh, the talent shortage will cost governments and companies around the world 8.5 
trillion dollars and trillion. I had to actually go- look up how many zeros is trillion and it's 12. So it's a lot of money. Lots of money. <laughs> so that's, that's the money. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Amazing. So, you know, one of the things I always love to ask our guests on the show is, you know, I wrote a book on leadership execution and, and we talk about the tactics that the most successful leaders around the world always use. And you were so kind enough to share the one that really stood out for you was leading with courageous agility. And for my new listeners, uh, courageous agility is all about having the courage and fortitude to do what you think is right, even if the future is unclear. So you, you know, you take all the data and knowledge that you know about and use it in making an informed decision, but you do take that first step forward. And so I'm just curious of why that tactic really resonated with you. <laughs> yes. So I think the many, um, I, so if I look back, for example, I mean, we talked about Pivot already, but I actually will, will take us back to the 2020 spring because uh, 2020 spring, I remember. So, I mean, this was a shock for the world, for us. And everybody around me, including my management team, told, told that we should cut basically the layoffs. Like everybody was doing layoffs, yeah. right? We should do the same. And I think sometimes as, I mean, it is a lonely place to be, to be the CEO. And sometimes we are especially lonely. And I remember that time, my thinking was that we had, we pivoted, we have this one chance. We have this all in. If I cut, and we would have cut all the new markets, right? If I cut the new markets right now, it will mean that we will stay alive a bit longer, but any possibility of growth will go away, right? So uh, I went against the board, against my management team, and, and actually said that we, should, we did a salary cut instead across the uh, organization. I explained also to the team the choices that I had and what the choice that I made and why I made that choice. And thanks to that I'm sitting here. Uh, why, why, thanks to that, we saw last year eight times MRR growth. I mean, it was insane. Amazing. It would have never been possible. So I think it's like, and that's the hardest part of being the leader, right? That it's, you hire smart people and my smart people were back then and are also today very smart, but sometimes you need to trust your gut. And my gut told me that if we cut people today, we will be a walking dead. But I want to, that one shot that we have, I want to basically do the all in and let's take that risk wherever it takes. And it paid off. So I think this is why I, I chose. Uh, I think this is the type of leadership that I like to follow. It's hard to follow sometimes, but when it pays off, it's very, it's huge, uh, right? uh, it is, it's huge. Yeah. So, and this is, um, it may be a, a little unorthodox, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I love to see what it takes to impress you. So what I want you to do is think about either a person or a company. It could be anybody. It can be your your mom, a boss, a person dead or alive, or it can be a, a company's brand, whether it's global or local. But think about some entity, person or business that is a true leader in their space that has impressed you. If you name an example of one, what would that be and why? That's a really hard Isn't one. Hard? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because there are so many, not because they aren't, there are so many amazing people in oh, the there world. there is. <laughs> Let me, uh, anyone, maybe a mm-hmm. coworker, I don't know. 
I just wonder who, who has differentiated themselves in your mind as a great leader? I think in that sense, it's so again, there are amazing, uh, great companies and maybe it's also connected how I listened to his conversations in the time where I needed, but I, I have been a, really a fan of uh, Irving founder, Brian Shelsky. Yeah. Like I think, yeah. um, I think our missions are very aligned the way we are navigating the way. Uh, and, and I think I actually remember that I listened to the uh, Brian Shelsky and uh, Reed Hoffman's uh, conversation like two or three years too late because uh, <laughs> otherwise I would not have built the Japanical first version right. because that's, uh, I remember when he said that, uh, so first you shouldn't build an idea, but the thing should not, should be, should not scale at the beginning, but it should work in an Excel sheet. Yeah. And I said, and so first Jubatica was from my idea. Second Jubatica was an Excel sheet that was already unmanageable because the demand was so high, right? <laughs> so I, I and I, I think with Brian, I, I followed him over the years. I, I think he's inspired me a lot. I, I like how he's really taking, he's kind of walking the walk. Like uh, now, you know, working from living and working from one uh, Airbnb to another to really get the customer experience. And so I, really admire him so uh, again there are great people but I think that's popped up right now <laughs> in my head and I, I think uh, he's a great leader that, uh, yes. I'm uh, a fan that well. I do truly admire <laughs> okay. yes I'm a fan as well you're spot on uh, with that and I listen on my podcast list and I, I don't go running I go speed walking that's about all I can do as fast as I can do but I listen to Reed Hossman's uh, Masters of Scale podcast yeah, exactly. And I just absolutely love how he pulls out. I think the leader of Airbnb was on there as well, but he has all these leaders and I love hearing about their perspectives on how they think about I love it as well. like growth and they just make it simple. You know, they, they break it down for you and make it simple. So yeah, I, I appreciate I think uh, it was even, if I'm not mistaken, the Brian Shelsky conversation that, uh, that I was referencing to, was Masters of Scale first episode? I think it was the first. I think it was the very first. I think it was the very first episode. Yeah, I might be mistaken, but it was. I somehow have this memory that it was the very first episode, but I just listened to it a bit too late. Uh, so I already. Uh, so anyway, uh, I agree with him, and uh, I agree with you completely. Uh, it's a great uh, podcast. It is. All right. Well, my final question for you, Miss Carelli, is Carelli. I'm sorry. For you, what does it take for you to lead at the top of your game? What do you always try to make sure that you do? And that's a good question. And I must say, it's I would have answered completely differently four years ago. <laughs> and I think today, one of the things that I've learned over the past, especially past four years, since I started actually to work with an executive coach, this is something I really recommend to CEOs. Yes. And uh, is that basically, I started to take care of myself. I started to schedule myself. When I wake up in the morning, I used to open a computer, emails, calls, go crazy, right? Yeah. But now in the morning, I start my day with meditation. I do my exercise. I do my run. And then I have a crazy uh, thing I do in the mornings. In the, when I'm uh, northern, in Northern Europe, I do the Arctic swimming. So I go uh, swimming when it's also minus 15 uh, outside, right? So I, I do all those things that by the time when I'm starting my day, I feel amazing. And I think to be honest, uh, this is something we leaders tend to forget because we think we are so busy. Yeah. But the thing is that if you don't schedule yourself, how can you, like, if you don't take care of yourself, how can you take care of your That's team, right. right? 
So uh, really scheduling yourself into your calendar and taking care of yourself, that's something that uh, I think only then you can be uh, uh, the best version of yourself as a leader and as a human. I agree. I agree totally. And we just recently had the last podcast episode I recorded. It was a gentleman who splits his time from between Australia and San Francisco. And he does the same thing. He always does the the cold morning swimming, you know, going in there when it's very, very cold, swimming around and, and jumping out. He said that that just rejuvenates him and gets him focused for the day. Yes. So. <laughs> same, same. All right. Well, we have taken way over your time, but I want to make, don't want to leave before you let our listeners know where to find both you and the company. We'll have it in the show notes, but I want you to um, share as well. How can they get in touch with you all if they want more information? So you can go to Javatical. So for me, I am on every platform. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. My daughter is on TikTok. My, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> every other platform, you will find me. Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, feel free to uh, follow, contact uh, via there. Jabatical.com is where you can find my company. And uh, so if if there's any questions or advice uh, that you need, then I'm, I'm open to share. As I said, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16. A lot of mistakes have been made <laughs> and that have taught, give, uh, given valuable lessons. So um, well, knowing that you're connect. only 21 now, so how many mistakes could you have had, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, precious. Well, thank you so much, Carolee, for joining this episode. Thank we you. really appreciate your time. Thank you, Carol. Awesome. All right, leaders. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this fantastic episode with Ms. Carolee Hendricks. Links to all of her contact information will be in our show notes, so be sure to stay and check those out. As well as, you know, I always only ask one favor, that is to like and subscribe of the podcast and to share with just one friend, because that will help us extend our reach and build stronger leaders who are leading at the top of their game across the globe. Thank you so much and see you next week. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Carole Hendricks, founder and CEO of Jobatical. Links to her bio, her entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes that are both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of global talent pools. I just wanted to take a quick opportunity to to highlight uh, two of the leadership tactics from my research, which I really think would help you excel as a leader when navigating adding global talent to your workforce. The first one involves being skilled at leading with entrepreneurship. Leading with entrepreneurship will allow you to more critically evaluate whether widening your talent pool globally will grow your organization in a good way and better improve operations. It will also help you answer the question, will the increased access to hard-to-find skills help improve our competitiveness in today's markets and industries? And no matter if the answer to that question is yes or no, you will have a very persuasive justification either way to share with your executive team and key decision makers. The second tactic I wanted to highlight is leading with stakeholder savvy. And leading with stakeholder savvy will make or break how successful your global talent is assimilated as part of your team. 
It will help you both celebrate any similarities and deeply understand any differences due to cultural norms. Now, in the show notes, I'll include links to more information about each of these tactics and what you can do to begin sharpening your ability to execute them. And while you're there, you might as well check out all seven tactics and get a lot more familiar with them. And if you or your team wants to be trained up on them, feel free to reach out uh, via the contact form on the website or direct message me on any of the social media platforms. Thanks so much for hanging in there to listen to this portion of Karen's take on the podcast. And if I haven't mentioned it already, just know I appreciate you for being a member of our podcast family. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and just share with just one friend because performing this one selfless act will empower you to help others to also lead at the top of their game. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes, with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.